Hey, everybody, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast, the podcast for biomedical engineering students and recent grads kicking off the job search process. I'm Grace. I'm Allie. This week, we're joined by Brooke Renari. Brooke is a UNC BME 2019 alum and is currently a clinical account specialist at Biosense Webster in Richmond, Virginia. Biosense Webster is a medical technology company that specializes in the treatment of cardiac arrhythmias through advanced 3D mapping. Brooke has a very, very cool job where she gets to interact with the patients, doctors, nurses, and assist with the technology during procedures. Listen in. Welcome, Brooke. We're super excited to have you on today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a guest. Um, I'm really excited you guys are doing this as well. It's awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been a good time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Biosense Webster, I think, is a subset of J&J. Can you give a little bit of background on what Biosense Webster does and uh, what, what the company is all about? Yeah, so it is um, under the Johnson & Johnson umbrella. So we're like a medical device. Johnson Johnson has tons of companies, so we're just one of them. Um, and our goal is to help and treat patients with cardiac arrhythmias. Um, so we do that by, um, you know, we partner with clinicians to uh, innovate and make new technology to help procedure times and basically just to improve the quality of care that cardiac arrhythmia patients um, are getting. Okay, so is that, and there's multiple locations for Biosense Webster, right? But all locations do the same thing? Yeah, exactly. So we actually have pods. Um, so I'm in the Richmond pod personally, but you know, there's a Durham pod, there's a Hawaii pod, there's everywhere, like any city you can think of, wherever there's an EP lab, we're in there basically. Cool. Okay. So for, and is there any kind of uh, sense of branching out outside of that section or is it just going to be focused on arrhythmias? Um, so yeah, we specialize in radio frequency ablation. So we we're definitely focused on arrhythmias. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, and then, so your current, your, your current role is, or I'm sorry, your first role at this company was associate clinical account specialist. What did this role kind of do? Yeah, so um, it's called the ACAS program um, for Biosense. So it's what you would apply to, like you guys, if you're interested. Um, it's for people who are just graduating who have little to zero um, electrophysiology experience. So it's basically a six to 12 month program that you go into and you're set with a trainer. Um, I did my training in Raleigh at Wake Med and you just basically learn, you're thrown into an EP lab basically and you just learn with them. You do modules online. Um, our headquarters are in California. So you get to spend two weeks out there and I got to do that before COVID. So that was nice. And you basically just, you're with educa the education department and you just learn, you learn like a whole new language basically with electrophysiology. It's really fun, but there's a lot. Um, so yeah, um, when you, that's what you do for the first six to 12 months of your employment if you're an ACAS. How long is that? You said ACAS, A-C-A-S, is that like a program? Does it last a certain amount of time or? Yeah, it, it, it's just a program. Um, I finished mine in, so it was July, 2019 to, I guess, well, January, 2020. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, six months, um, but you have up to 12 months to finish the program. Um, you know, whatever, however much time you need to feel comfortable to kind of be on your own. Gotcha. And then, so when you finish the program, I, your, your current role is clinical account specialist. So is that mm -hmm. kind of what you become when you finish the program? 
Exactly. So yeah, you're technically like promoted at the finish of the program um, to a clinical account specialist. We just call it a CAS. And yeah, you're kind of on your own at that point. I mean, they don't throw you in, you know, they know you're new and that it's scary because you're working with physicians with real live patients on the table. You're having conversations with physicians, the entire procedure, um, helping them treat them. So yeah, it's scary at first, for sure. Um, it, it, there's a big learning curve, but it's really fun. And they, and they know you're new as well. So they'll like, you'll be with someone maybe. And then I don't know, sometimes you're thrown into the deep end, but. But there's like a chance for like a soft transition. You're not in your, in yeah. the, OR the first. Yeah. That, that's what they told me. Um, the first week I started and I was good for two days. And then on my first Friday, they were like, we need you in Norfolk. So I drove two hours there and did my case. And I like almost threw up because I was so nervous. Oh no. <laughs> but you know, I did it and you kind of just have to like, you got to you gotta just do it at some point. So it gets more comfortable as you, as time goes on. Totally. So tell us about your first case. The one you were really nervous for, what did you have to do? Okay. So what the doctor, okay. It's an RF ablation procedure. So the patient's coming in with an arrhythmia. This particular patient had an SVT, which is a super supraventricular tachycardia. So we weren't sure what the patient had. Um, so you go in, first thing you do is have a conversation with the physician to, you know, get patient information and anything you need to know. So that's what he told me. We were gonna go up with catheters. So they get access through the femoral vein in the leg. They put up catheters. Um, they're called diagnostic catheters. And um, you can do pacing maneuvers in order to figure out what this patient has. And if we can go ahead with the ablation to help treat their condition. So this particular patient had something called AVNRT, which is atrioventricular nodal reentrant tachycardia. It sounds scarier and more complicated. Than what does that mean? <laughs> so your AV node in your heart. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you go SA node, AV node, the, you know, normal conduction. So in that AV node, you have a reentrant circuit. So it kind of just, you have a, two pathways in there. You have a slow and a fast. And then sometimes if you have like a heartbeat that is like a preventricular heartbeat, you're exercising the reentrant mechanism will occur and your heart will start beating really fast. Like, I mean, tachycardia is over hundred beats per minute. So somewhere above that. And yeah, the patient will, you know, feel their heart racing fast. They might feel faint. And that's when they go to the doctor and get diagnosed with that. So there's a, you know, we can ablate a certain, um, the slow pathway basically in the heart and that can help stop their arrhythmia for good. Yeah. Is that invasive? So it it is, and it is like, you're not cut, cutting open the chest or anything. You go through the vein in the leg and okay. you have like a really long sheath and you put a catheter through it and it just goes up into the um, IVC and you get into the right atrium and yeah, you can like map through there. So you're putting catheters in the heart, but actually patients can go home the same day a lot of the time because you just have like a groin like cut, I guess you can say. Okay. Um, yeah. And that just needs to go, but. Okay. So they go under, under anesthesia for like an hour or two. Maybe. Yeah. Some patients actually are awake. <laughs> um, wow, it just depends. Wow. Yeah. I think that patient was awake. Um, but if you have like an atrial fibrillation procedure, um, they will definitely go under anesthesia. Um, for, and those procedures can be from an hour and a half to, it used to take like eight hours just for that, but we've gotten down in procedure times over the years. Okay. And so how does the RF work? Like, how does that work maybe on like a high level to ablate yeah, so um, it's basically a circuit. So we have grounding pads on the back and you have to patch the patient and everything. And then you have the generator, which produces the current. And then that goes up into the catheter that we have. It's just, it's kind of like 
a tube, I guess you can mm -hmm. say, with electrodes on it. And then right at the tip of the catheter, it's just going to send that radio frequency to the tissue and you basically ablate it, which then kills the tissue. Um, so it doesn't have electrical signals because your heart has electrical signals everywhere. So you kind of want to get rid of them in certain parts of the heart. <laughs> so the so the surgeon or doctor might help, uh, will like perform the procedure, but you might help them with the device in some way? Yeah, so sorry, I didn't explain that very well. Um, so I'm No, yeah, a, you're fine. I'm just curious. <laughs> of course. Um, I'm on a computer basically in the control room or I might be in the lab as well. Um, and yeah, the physicians, you know, on top of the patient scrubbed in and I'm sitting in the back, like mic to mic with the physician and we have our own 3D mapping system. So we patch the patient with our patches and it, it allows us to see the catheters and the heart. So they're looking at a screen called the boom um, across from them. And they're, while they're manipulating the catheters with our system, they can see their catheters and we can actually electro anatomically map the heart. So if they go into an arrhythmia that we need to map out is what we call it, um, you can actually map like a right atrium and get local activation timing and find out exactly where that arrhythmia is occurring from and then how can we ablate it. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of like mapping. So a lot of times we go into the left atrium to do pulmonary vein isolation, which we do for atrial fibrillation patients. Um, that's like a really common one. And you just map the whole heart out, then they can see the veins, they know exactly where to ablate around um, and all that. And then if they go into an arrhythmia, we map it. And then we actually have to, most of the time, interpret the map for the, map for the physician and help guide them in the right direction and come up with a game plan to help this patient. Wow. That's a lot of responsibility. I can see yeah. why you were so nervous <laughs> for your first one. Like, mm -hmm. geez, I still get nervous. Honestly, yeah. a lot of the time, not, not every case, but yeah. So how often will you go in to do something like that? Like what's the frequency? Um, so case wise, um, we have a pretty big team right now, so I don't have a ton of cases. We're supposed to, I was added into Richmond cause we were going to grow. And then of course I came January, 2020 and then COVID hit. So things were stalled a bit. It definitely picked back up like crazy and we're still like trying to get into different accounts which I'll have but right now I'm kind of floater so I go where people need me if people are on vacation if people are double booked I kind of swoop in and help out um so I have anywhere from like four to eight cases a week on average sometimes more sometimes less but yeah wow That's crazy and so <laughs> is every is every procedure uh, require a cast to be there and help? Yes. Okay. Yeah. For ablations. I mean, if they do it like the old school way that they did in like, I don't know, the seventies or eighties maybe, or nineties, um, then you can just use x-ray to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but people don't want to do that because radiation, you know, is bad for the staff physician and patient. And so, yeah, this is like the technology that everyone's using at this point. Um, they're using either, you know, Biosense or they can use Abbott is another big one or Boston Scientific has a mapping system as well. So yeah, either whichever company they're, they're kind of loyal to, they'll, they'll use. And so what do you do in the times when you're not in the, in the hospital on a case? Yeah, so um, I actually, I'll, the first thing I do is I look at our case schedule and I see if there's one that's like interesting to me and I'll ask if I can go shadow it to get more experience. Um, but okay. I don't do that as much anymore just because I'm like two years into it at this point, but I still do because I still learn something new every single day. Um, so that's the first thing. If not, then I'll stay home and have like an admin day. So I will go on my computer, I'll read journal, journal articles, 
I'll catch up on emails. Um, we have to keep our car like really like we have to do maintenance for our car a lot because I drive like a ton, like 2,000 to 3,000 miles a month sometimes. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we have to keep up with that. There's like a lot of like random things. We have to do like modules and stay compliant um, with hospitals. Vendor credentialing is what it's called. And yeah, so I, just like a, a laundry list of random things. Right. The things you have to do to get yourself ready to go in and do those cases. So yeah. Um, like if something happens in the case that I don't feel comfortable with, I'll like write it down on my phone and then I go like home and research it, stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Um, I, I think of the people we've had on so far, I feel like you get to feel that patient impact so much more directly than maybe some of the other ones we've talked to, though everybody is, you know, of course impacting, but mm -hmm. like, how does that feel for you? It must be very, um, fulfilling in that way. Oh yeah. I mean, I love it. I had no idea this job existed. I wish I did. So that's why I'm happy you guys can like hear from it. Cause it's, I mean, I always wanted to be a doctor and then I like kind of changed my mind in college. I was like, I don't know. So then having something like this where I can actually like still interact with the patient, but I don't have to like go to the schooling for it or, you know, and you still have that impact. I, I absolutely love it. It makes it worth it to be nervous and everything. <laughs> So how did you find this job? You know, you said okay, you didn't yes. know what it was. How did that, how'd you happen upon this? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I was in Devin Hubbard's lab. I guess you guys all know him, I'm sure. <laughs> He's our senior design professor and the UNC BME program. Yes. Um, so I was working his lab on his glaucoma project and senior year came a time where I was really confused, didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just Googling BME jobs and yep, it was yep. really tough. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, just how it goes. And I was just confused and he knew I was looking for a job. And then actually John Carlo, who's a year above us in the BME program, emailed Devin and said like, Hey, do you have any students who like are X, Y, and Z? I think he said like something like good at communicating, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was like, yeah, I know someone. So he connected me with John Carlo and then John Carlo connected me with his regional director. Um, and I got to, you know, send in my application through him. And then I got to, um, interview actually with his director and also the director that hired me. So there were two and yeah, through that interview, I just, I don't know, somehow I got the job and I was really excited about it. Just like lucky. Because you're crazy smart and talented. Yeah, that's why she's, you got the she's job. downplaying her credentials <laughs> a lot, <Thanks>. friends. <laughs> that's, that's really awesome. cool. Okay, so you kind of didn't, you kind of were trusting references, but didn't totally know until you kind of started, you know, getting referred to it. So yeah, no, I had absolutely no idea. Even when I was hired, like I still basically had no idea. That sounds really bad. But um, yeah, I mean, John Carl explained it good enough, but on the first day, like July 1st, I remember like the weekend before or the Friday before that Monday, I emailed my regional director and I was like, so like, what's the address of the office I'm going to? Like, yeah. I don't, and he was like, oh no, like you're not working in an office. I was like, oh yeah, no, I had no idea, but I'm so happy I did it <laughs> yeah. randomly. Like it's so much fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's like Ali said, that, that patient impact. I mean, I think like BME in general just has a lot of like altruistic values underlying it and just being able to see it face to face is so cool. Very cool. Dallas. That's very cool. Awesome. So go ahead. Oh yeah. Um, so, so I want to ask now that you've been there for a couple years and thinking back to you, right. Looking for jobs in that time period, what kind of like a uh, person would enjoy what you do? Like what kind of, what would they be like? What kind of traits, interests, skill sets would they have that would enjoy the job you're in? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. I would say someone who's 
really flexible because, you know, for me, I was telling you guys before that, you know, I was training in Raleigh. I wanted to stay in Raleigh. And then I was sent to Richmond because that's where they needed me. So if that's where they need you, you kind of have to go for at least the first few years. It's, you know, you're, you might have to work holidays. You know, you, you have to work long hours a lot of the time um, because there's people who are higher up than you that, you know, deserve that time because they already put in that time. So um, yeah, definitely being flexible, um, being, I guess, personable is the word like you you have to communicate with the doctor and you technically are in a sales role as well so you have to be able to I wouldn't say you need like selling experience because I didn't have that but you know you need to be comfortable with like selling your product so definitely communicating with the doctor um I feel like those two are probably being flexible and communication is the best because also like I don't know my schedule for next week yet (laughs) like I get that you know (laughs) cases start coming in um so yeah definitely those two how far in advance is it's like week, like Monday morning, or I guess Sunday evening, you're like, Oh, I have a case tomorrow at 6am, like better get ready for it. So for people who are like a few years in, they have accounts. So they have a lot better understanding of when they're going to work and all that for me, since I'm a floater. Yeah. Like I could wake up tomorrow morning and my manager, like I'll have my ringer on and he'll call me and be like, you got to drive two and a half hours, like right now to go cover this case. Like it can be like that, or I can know like Sunday night and I'm like, okay, I have a good feel, but then it could change up things, cancel things, get added on. So it's, it's a little stressful sometimes, but I I'd rather have that personally than a nine to five, just cause I, I had an internship um, that was nine to five and it just wasn't for me. So mm-hmm. even though like, maybe I'll have to like drive out a lot of hours and work like the whole day, there's a chance, like, I just prefer that personally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Different, yeah. different schedules work for different people. Mm-hmm. You mentioned different accounts. Are you in charge of finding accounts or is that kind of passed down? There's like specific sales people in the job, in the company that do that for you. Oh yeah. That's such a good um, question. So yeah, it's, I'm personally not in charge. Like I can't just like go to a hospital and, you know, find an account, but that's something people hire up like my manager or, you know, different roles will have uh, seeking that out, converting competitive business is a big one as well. That's, you know, something we're trying to do. And so I, and also like we have fellowship programs as well. So we have at VCU, which is a, a medical school, like in Richmond, um, we have fellows there that, you know, work with Carter in their fellowship. So we want to, you know, get them when they graduate and, you know, see where they go. So it's, it's not my, uh, you know, responsibility, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So quick, 30 second rundown. What are your top three? What's your top three favorite things about this job and your bottom three least favorite things about this job? Oh gosh. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm going to do my least favorite first. Um, (laughs) I would say the stress because uh, like, if I have a doctor, that's not very nice or like a case that's really hard. Yeah. That stress is hard to deal with Mm -hmm. the nerves. Um, uh, what else I don't like um I guess yeah not knowing my schedule and having to work holidays sometimes because that's just what you have to do so that's another thing I don't like uh and I can't think of a third so I'm gonna go to my favorites um I love working with a team and but we all have our own separate roles like the nurses know what they're doing I know what I'm doing the physicians doing what he's doing it but we can all still work together for like a main goal um second is that I don't have to work like a nine to five and that it's like more flexible. So some days I do have more time for myself. Um, so it's a good work-life balance. And then third, I would say probably like, uh, 
it's really nice having like a small company feel because my pod only has like, I think around 10 people. Um, so even though I'm part of a big company and you get the benefits of that, I still have my team that like helps each other out and everything, which I like a lot. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of yeah. fun. You get to interact with a lot of different people. Yeah. Yeah. If they're nice, it's good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> most of the time, but you need yeah, those people, you need those people that aren't that nice. So you appreciate the nice ones. That's true. Yeah, and yeah, yeah you, I would say also another thing um, for this job is just being able to work with different personalities as well. And, you know, you have to always remain professional, no matter what happens in the lab. And yeah, that's um, working under pressure like that. It's, is kind of tough, but, but yeah. So like high stress, high pressure, but like high interest as well, you know, right. Like, exactly. That's kind of the trade-off. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very, you know, it's hard to kind of it's the rush. What's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the rush. It is the <laughs> rush, especially when also another thing about this job is you have to troubleshoot a lot. Like if your system goes down, it's mm. it's not fun, but and you have to know like how to fix it right away because there's a physician, you know, with catheters in their hand, like yeah, not yelling at you, but you know, they they want to keep going and you want to keep going too. Everyone wants to move on mm-hmm. and get this procedure done. So yeah, that's tough. But once you fix the problem, it's rewarding for sure. Totally. How often has that happened? I don't know if you can say or not, but how often has that happened? I think I can say, I'm going to say, but, um, so it, it happens often, um, where it, it's not all the time our fault, but, um, as the clinical in the room, you're, you are kind of expected to like help out wherever, like, even if it's, sure. you know, you, you want to help out, even if it's like a nurse, because, um, I don't know, that's just the nice thing to do. And you just want to be like a helpful hand. Obviously I don't touch the patient sure. or anything like that, mm-hmm. totally. but, um, just like fixing, you know, computer problems and having the engineering background helps a lot as well. Okay. So you're in this role, you're the clinical account specialist. What is the path for someone in this role for like the next five years? What's a future move for them? Yeah. So there's so many different things you can do and being a part of J and J, they want you to move up. So that's another awesome part is that you have like two year, uh, I guess, like you have a mid-year and then a year meeting um, where you can express to your manager what you want out of this job and they kind of help you get there, which is really nice. So you can be, I my next step would to be a cast two, it's called. So you get kind of promoted up there and then you become a senior cast and then executive cast. Or if you want to go into like education, like you don't even want to do clinical anymore, you can say like, hey, I have a passion for education. You can, you know, mention that and then eventually you'll get there um, for me, I, my pathway, I want to be a manager one day or like a regional director. That's like pretty far down the line, but, uh, that's personally what I want to do. And like more of the sales side of it. Um, you can also become a trainer. You can become a regional technical specialist, um, which, you know, they help all the new castes with like the new technology. Cause there's new stuff coming out all the time that you have to be on top of. So there's just so much, so many, anything really, like you can probably find it and and get there. But yeah, for mine, I'd want to be a manager, I think. Yeah. That's really, that's really cool. I like that there's different pathways to it too. So you're not Mm -hmm. like pigeonholed into the technical aspect. What are, is it just like promotions and like expertise things that differentiate like cast two and then senior cast, or is it like added responsibilities on that? They have like a whole list, actually. It's like really organized where it's like to become a cast two, you need like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Um, So that has to do with your yearly review and how well you do. So every year your manager goes with you and tells you like, I don't know, there's different sales numbers you have to hit and there's different like criteria and things to help out with your team and making sure you're hitting everything. Um, 
So that's one way. And then there are added, um, you know, responsibilities that come with the promotion. So yeah, it is just kind of like promotion period. You need to be like a cast for a certain amount of time as well. Like to become a cast too, I believe it's like two years, two, three years. Um, and then you have to hit certain criteria and then you can be promoted. Mm. Gotcha. How can folks, uh, this is a question student put in the, a student put in the chat. How can folks find the uh, first role that you applied to the training program? The ACAS program, um, so it's always posted on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know if it's on the BioSense website, but like even Glassdoor, things like that, like they post it there. Um, I would just, I would say LinkedIn is probably your best bet. They'll post when they're looking for ACASs in certain regions. So gotcha. it might be like Phoenix or something, but they'll <laughs> yeah. post they need you. Yeah. Right. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Wow. Your job sounds really interesting. We'll have to have you on again to, to dive more into the weeds because it's so sure, cool. It's, yeah, it's a lot, but thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome though. Um, very cool. Thank you again for, you know, taking the time to chat with us. I know it's, you know, it's a Thursday evening and and you chose to talk about your job again. So <laughs> we really I, I appreciate about it. A lot. <laughs> we really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.